Hey, good morning, all. <clears throat> Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Uh, Doug Padgett here. It's uh, the 4th of October, 5th of October today. And uh, we're going to be talking about something we talk about a lot in this podcast. And I'm sorry if you all have to suffer through this, uh, this cold-ridden voice of mine. I uh, hope it doesn't make it too distracting for you. Uh, but we're going to be talking about the, uh, how we should understand the national debt. Now, I know to a lot of people that doesn't sound very interesting. But I got to tell you, I find it utterly fascinating, partly because I have learned in the last number of years that I have been misled on how thinking about the debt. Unbelievable. I was told, like maybe many of you were told, that the national debt is like debt that you would take on as a person or a family or a business or a local state or a local economy. That if you're going to take on debt, means you have to go borrow money from someone else to pay your bills. Now, look, a lot of us do that all the time. I, the house that I'm living in, I've lived in for 25 years. We borrowed money from a bank, and then we've been paying them back with interest over the last uh, 25 years. We're almost done with that. But anyway, we borrowed money and then had an asset that we were able to live in, and then at the end of paying it off, it's ours. People do that with cars. People do that with uh, credit card debt. Do it all the time. Businesses do it all the time. They manage their debt. In fact, that's one of the primary things that banks do. They lend people money. So debt is all around. But here's the thing. At the federal level, the federal government, in this case, we're going to talk about the United States of America. That's not how the United States of America acquires debt. Debt for the federal government is not borrowing money from other people because we don't have it. Debt in the United States federal system is the number, when somebody talks about the national debt or the deficit, and we'll get to the difference between these, basically shorthand. Deficit is the amount of debt that is accumulated in any particular budget. So you might say our budget this year is going to be $100, and we're going to take in $50, and we're going to spend $100, so you have a $50 deficit. So the deficit would be inside of any particular budget. The debt is all of those years brought together. So you might be thinking to yourself, oh, okay, so then the United States federal government has been borrowing money from individuals, other countries. I don't know. It's really, it gets real complicated when somebody has to think about who is the United States government borrowing money from. The deficit is the amount between how much the government spends every year and how much the government takes out of the economy every year. Part of the language that becomes a problem for this is people hear how much money does the government spend and how much does the government take in. Now, that's technically true, but what the government does when it takes in money, the federal government isn't put it in a bank account to spend it. They just remove it from the economy. Now, this is why I find this so fundamentally exciting, because I had no idea that that's how the federal government system works, that we have a central bank that spends all the money, and then when taxes are taken out or fees are taken out or someone buys a bond, any of that kind of thing, that money then doesn't go into a bank account so that the government has enough money to spend. That money's just removed from the economy. 
this is the big deal. Now, in the uh, in the chat, Alex is already saying that she loves a book called The Deficit Myth. It's written by Stephanie Kelton. I'm a big fan of that book as well. In fact, we have a number of podcasts and live streams on the very channel, wherever you're watching this. The best place to find it, though, is over on YouTube. It's much easier to find. You can look up economics. You can look up a thing called MMT, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, called Modern Monetary Theory or a more modern way of thinking about the economy. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm Doug Padgett from Vote Common Good uh, in Minneapolis today. It's going to be sunny and 64 degrees. We call that fall around here. Uh, but I will say in my basement, it's like 105 degrees for some reason. I don't know. It's so hot down here because we're not running our air conditioner in my little basement. It just gets so hot. All right. So anyway, if you see sweat coming, it's because I'm into this conversation. Um, and uh, and so so hang with me. All right. So so Tammy or Tamara uh, Sparrow asks this this question: What do you mean just removed from the economy? All right. This gets right at it. So let's just jump right in, shall we? Okay. Here's here's how it all starts. Uh, to, I, I'm going to say Tamara. I, I hope it's Tamara and not uh, Tamara. Um, let me tell you how most people are taught to think about the federal budget. They tend to think about it like this. Citizens have money. They give their money to the federal government. And then the federal government spends the money. That's how most of us are taught to think about it. I mean, we have the money. In fact, politicians will say things like, the government doesn't have any money other than the money that you give them in taxes. I'm going to make this caveat multiple times. That is true for states, for local governments, but it's not true for the federal government. The federal government is different because the federal government operates the treasury. We're going to talk about something called a fiat currency here in a moment, and that's what the United States functions under. So most of us think that the federal government works the way the state government works. So in the state of Minnesota where I live, the state of Minnesota can make money off of a few things. They can tax the citizens. They can offer fee. They can demand fees for things. We have a lot of fees that aren't really taxes and have all these arguments about the difference between a tax and a fee. But anyway, there's fees. Or they can make investments. The, United, the, the state of Minnesota can invest in stocks and bonds or they can buy things and uh, they can do lotteries. They can do all kinds of things to get money because the state of Minnesota does not produce its own currency. It doesn't print the money. The federal budget, on the other hand, the federal budget is not driven by the taxes or the fees or the investments. The federal budget, the, all the money spent by the federal government, is always new money. So most of us were taught that citizens give our money to the government and then the government spends the money. And that's true for all the other governments except the one. In fact, in Stephanie Kelton's book called The, uh, the um, Deficit Myth, she has this, starts with this great little bit from Sesame Street where she says, one of these is not like the others and we need to know the difference, right? And so the federal government in the United States operates what's called a fiat currency. Now you might say to yourself, what is a fiat currency? Well, great question. A fiat currency means that it's a currency that the government issues that's not backed by any physical commodity. The U.S. dollar is not 
backed by gold anymore. It's not backed by silver. hasn't been for 100 years. But rather, it's backed by the sheer government that issues it. The United States dollar is valuable because the government says it's worth a dollar. If you take out a bill from your wallet, and you still have one of those old things, and one of those cotton bills that we call paper bills, and you look at it, it will say it's a promissory note. And that promissory note says that it's worth $1, $100, $50, and that's how much it's going to be worth. Why is it worth that much? Not because it weighs a certain amount, not because it's made of $100 or $1 worth of fiber, because what's printed on it is a promise from the federal government. The federal government puts money into existence. Now, I know for a lot of us, this can feel like you're in a philosophy class or, you know, somebody that went, you know, uh, I don't know where, during the Copernium Revolution, when Copernium was like, I don't think the sun revolves around the earth. I think the earth revolves around the sun. When they hear people say things like, all the money that exists in U.S. dollars was created by the federal government. Now, we know this when we think about it, but instinctively, it feels like we don't know what we're talking about when someone says something like this. We think all the money already exists, but it doesn't. The United States government every year makes a budget and says, this year we're going to spend $1.9 trillion, whatever the number, pick the number, out of the federal treasury. We're going to spend that money. We're going to create it. It doesn't currently exist. We're going to make it, and we're going to insert it into the economy. Because if the federal government didn't make the dollars create it, then it raises a great sort of philosophical question. Then from where did it come, right? Where does the money come from? Like you think about a growing economy and you fundamentally have to ask yourself, where, what makes it grow? I mean, literally, not only does money not grow on trees, Money is not trees. They don't just multiply and grow. Money comes because the treasury creates it. This is the first crucial thing to remember. The federal government, unlike state and local governments, creates the dollars that exist in our economy. That's why we can have an ever-growing economy. If the government stopped putting in new money, Think about this for a moment. It'll make sense. Just you don't need anybody to explain it to you. Sometimes you just need a little moment to think about it. If the government stops spending money, there wouldn't be any new money, right? We would only have the amount of dollars that currently exist. Could the economy grow if there was not new money? Could new people be born? Could new businesses be started? If all we were doing was passing around the money that exists, and that's all we did since 1776 or 1790 when we moved to a system like this or 1920. If we stopped putting in new money, any of those points, yesterday, 1920, 1790, 1776, stop putting in new money, all we would have is the amount of money that there was at that time. And then we would just rotate that money around. We would just circulate the money. But we don't do that because the economy grows. The way it grows is the federal government makes new money, prints it, or makes it on a computer ledger. There's not actually, 
if you think about the size of the economy, and I should have that number off the top of my head. I apologize for not having that number. I was going to try to have that number, um, and then I forgot to forgot to look it up. the it, The federal government um, doesn't have one dollar, five dollar, twenty, fifty, one hundred dollar bills worth the total amount of money that exists in our economy. Right, M- most of it, nearly all of it is in bank ledgers. We'll talk about the role of banks here in a minute because you'll start to understand that the government doesn't even actually put money in your pocket. It puts it in your bank via other banks. That's the means by which the money is is distributed through the economy. Okay, so if this is true, that money is created by the federal government, then there becomes a... We need a metaphor for this, right? Well, I really like this metaphor. It's the metaphor of the sink. Tomorrow, I hope this helps people get this. And if you can see this image on the screen, maybe it'll help get it, but I'm gonna describe this features of a sink. In this particular sink, you have a faucet. Think about your own bathroom or kitchen. You have a faucet. You have the water itself. You have the sink stopper. And then you have the drain, okay? These four components to a sink. The way to think about the Federal Reserve's role in the U.S. dollar is the Federal Reserve is the spigot. And it turns it on, but rather than taking money from somewhere else, it makes the money. This is where the sink analogy runs a little uh, awry. But just imagine for a moment that when you turn that on, you're not just grabbing money from somewhere else. You're actually printing it, creating it. The Federal Reserve creates the money. Once they create the money, then the money's in the economy. That's the water and the sink is filling up. And you might say to yourself, well, if the United States government keeps just making more money and dumping it into the sink in this metaphor, as water, at some point, the sink is going to overflow, right? Unless the economy gets big enough. So you need the economy, the size of the sink, to match the amount of water. If it overflows, we have a word for that, and it's called inflation. So here's the big worry to understand what the federal government needs to be worried about, is will producing more money, generating more money as a federal government, will it cause our current economy to go into inflation? All the inflation, when you hear people like, you know, Republicans say, we have inflation right now and it's because of Joe Biden. Sometimes you might say to yourself, what does the president have to do with inflation? Right. And it just becomes one of these talking points, one of these things we hear and we just sort of go along with it. Right. And we think, what does the Federal Reserve's rates that they're putting out have to do with inflation? Well, here's why. Because what people are saying is that when Biden approved or when Trump approved or when Obama approved of or Bush or any of the presidents approved of spending that the House of Representatives allocated, that put so much money into the economy and it was too much. So then things get more expensive based on supply side economics theory, right? There's a lot of money. So if all of a sudden you have 
500 extra dollars a month in your discretionary income, you will spend money on more things and that could cause the prices to go up. The other way prices go up or the economy inflates is that there's not enough product. There's more demand than there is product. And sometimes that demand comes because there's too much money. And sometimes the demand is created because there's not enough being produced. During COVID, we didn't have inflation of toilet paper prices because there were too many people wanting it with too much money to spend on it. There was a production problem. So you heard people talk about this is an issue with the supply chains. Okay, So the big concern that people have about how monetary policy works is, is the government putting in the right amount of money into the economy? Okay, well, how would the government control if there's the right amount of money in the economy? Well, that's where the stopper comes in that's in the sink. So I, I have one of those old school bathroom sinks upstairs where there's really a chain, external chain that I lift up and the little stopper plucks out. Some of you have the kind of drain where you, in your bathroom where you just lift a little bar and it's connected underneath, you know, in the trap and it, it lifts it up and lets the water out. So that little stopper, that's tax policy. What tax policy is, is the mechanism by which we remove money from the economy or we remove water from the sink. And then as the water goes out the drain, it doesn't circulate back into the sink. It just goes away. And boy, I'll tell you, when I realized that when you write a check to the federal government, they don't put that money into the federal bank account and then respend it. They've just said, you wrote a $100 check to the Internal Revenue Service of the federal government. Now $100 is taken out of the economy and no longer exists. The federal IRS system does not have a mechanism by which it deposits your money and respends it. It only spends new money. I'm just going to pause for a moment on that idea. I know there's already a lot <laughs> for people that haven't thought about this. For some of you who've thought about this stuff a lot or you've been following modern monetary theory or you watch our podcast and all this stuff, you're probably like, oh, boy, he's really belaboring that sink point. But I just have talked to so many people about this. I know it takes a moment for people to realize that the federal government is not waiting for you to give them money via taxes so we have money to spend. In other words, every time a federal politician says to you, they're spending your money, they're not spending our money. They're spending new money, literally new money. When you pay them in your taxes, they get rid of that money. They take it out of the economy. It can seem like, why would they do it that way? Well, there's lots of reasons why they do it that way. But it's always going to be new spending that comes in, new dollars. Now, you could make the general argument, well, if we want to control if inflation, not have too much water in the sink, and we need to take out $500 that you're going to pay them, then... So they can spend 500 new dollars. You could say, well, they're taking out your 500 to put $500 new in. So kind of your money, but it's not. Again, pause for a moment. 
let your brain breathe for a second. That's not what happens at the state level. That's not what happens in the city of Edina where I live. The city of Edina takes my tax dollars, property tax dollars, and other money that I pay for the in, in, in city taxes, and that's what they spend. They put it in their bank account, but not the federal government. That's why federal deficits is not borrowing money from other people. Federal deficit is the total amount of money that the government has put into the economy since it existed, basically since 1790, okay? Basically, since 1790, how much money has the United States government produced? That total amount minus how much money has the federal government taken out of the economy? The difference, that's what's called the deficit. But here's the wacky thing. That's not a deficit, That's the amount of money in the economy. The thing people call the federal deficit, that's the economy. That's how much money currently exists in the economy. Because all the money everywhere in the world that's the U.S. dollar has come from the United States government. And any money the government has taken out by fining Donald Trump $100,000, that money just came out. You write a check for $100,000, That money just comes out and is gone. It's just removed from the equation. But only in like this weird way of doing um, math on a spreadsheet do you call the difference between the amount of money generated by the federal government minus the amount of money taken out of the economy by the federal government, do you call that number a deficit? One way you could, on a spreadsheet, if you've ever used an Excel spreadsheet or a numbers spreadsheet, you know you would get this little negative, right? If you have put in more money than you have taken out, that can show up as a negative integer. But it's not a deficit. You're not borrowing the money from anybody. It's not running up a bill on a credit card. And every time you hear someone say that, they either don't know, which is quite likely, unless they're a federal politician, or they're trying to convince you of something by using information that is so misleading, I think it reaches a level of being dishonest. So the federal government's deficit is the amount of money that went into the sink versus the amount of money minus the amount of money that went down the drain or the amount of money currently in the sink. That's what we call the deficit. So when people say we're doing deficit spending or debt, That is madness. It's not debt spending. When they put forth a bill right now that Republicans are going to argue about and say, we can't keep running up this deficit, what they're saying is we need to take out more money than we put in. That's what they're saying. So if you ever talk to a politician or something, say to them, why do you want to reduce the size of the economy by taking out money that's currently in the economy. And they will answer that in particular ways. And this is what gets to the question of what should our tax policy be? One reason for taking money out or having taxes is to control inflation, right? So some of them want to say, look, we spent a whole bunch of money on a tax cut that, that 
the Republicans jammed through in 2017 and 2018. So let's explain that one for a minute. When, when they put together this tax bill and gave a tax cut, here's why it creates what's called the deficit. Because they said previously, we're going to take out $1 trillion in taxes this year. We're going to eliminate $1 trillion by people paying it to the Federal Reserve, and we're going to take it out of the economy. Then they changed the tax code, so they left $1 trillion. And you know, because the way it works, the amount of money that's been generated since the beginning of the country versus the amount of money the government has taken out is the deficit. When they took out a smaller amount through taxes, what does that do? Left more money in the economy and increased the deficit. Now, Republicans sometimes justify that by saying this, well, we're growing the economy. In other words, the economy is so active, the sink is getting so much bigger, we need more money in the economy. We can't, quote unquote, punish the job providers, this kind of thing, right? So that's the thing they say all the time when they're running the show. When they're not running the show, then they say to Joe Biden or to the, or to the Democrats, you can't make the sink bigger. You can't grow the economy. So if you put money in the economy, then you're just going to create inflation. Okay? So this is, the, this is how it goes. All right. <clears throat> I'm just going to pause for a second. I'm going to look at a few comments. And uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Stephen. Stephen uh, must know enough about Minnesota to know that I live in a, in a suburb of Minneapolis that's often referred to as the cake eaters. Th thank you. All right. So Kendra says, very helpful description. And look, friends, if you have any questions and you're on a YouTube channel or Facebook while this is happening live, if you see the little happening live thing right now, please put them in here. I'll be glad to, I'll be glad to uh, address this. Uh, Alex says, can't belabor it enough. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, okay. We need to raise John... Uh, Wolford says, we need to raise taxes on the wealthy and excessive corporate profits. All right, so we're going to talk about that in a minute. I did say one of the reasons for taxes, one of the reasons to pull the plug in the sink and let the money go out the drain and disappear and shrink the amount of money that's in the economy is to prevent inflation. But there's other reasons that the government wants to do this. We're also going to talk about bonds here in a minute because bonds is something where people think, well, why do people keep saying that we owe a bunch of debt to China or to some other country or to the American people? And I'll, we'll get to that in a moment because it's another means by which the United States government takes money out of the sink, takes water out of the sink other than through taxes. So one of the ways, okay, I'm going to belabor this point for a minute. So one of the ways that you could take money out of the sink is you could pull the plunger and let money go out through taxes. The other way is you could get a little cup and start dipping into the water, right? And take that water and set it aside and save it for later. Here's what bonds are. Basically, if you have a savings bond or you buy U.S. government treasuries bonds, that's scooping the money out with a cup. Here's generally how it works. Here's a caveat. I'm not an economist, so. But I do know how this works, so it works like this. But if, if any of my details are wrong, please correct me on this. Here's how it works. If the government says, hey, we're a little concerned that we're gonna be getting, we're gonna have too much money in the economy and we wanna slow it down, 
want to slow down the rate of growth and want to slow down inflation. But we don't want to use taxes. Here's what we can do. We can say to Mr. Paget, Mr. Paget, if you give us $100 right now by buying a U.S. Treasury, a U.S. savings bond, we're going to take that $100 and remove it from the economy. And then in 30 years, we're going to give you $120 back because you're helping and this also allows you to save. So you now could take $100, it goes away, federal government doesn't want your money, don't, don't need your money, that old, that old dirty money that's been rolling around in the economy, don't need it, don't want it, we make fresh stuff. So they're going to take my $100, get rid of it, but not through taxes, not to penalize me not to do behavior. Some of the stuff we'll talk about are the other reasons why there's, why there's taxes and why people use, why governments use taxes. But then we're going to give you back more money later in interest. So when you hear someone say that the federal government is making interest payments, right? You hear this all the time. The amount of money that we're paying in interest is more than the amount of money we're spending on health care, right? That argument, I hear it all the time. You will hear it all the time. The interest that is being paid is the interest being paid to citizens like us who bought savings bonds. So what is the government doing by making an interest payment? Putting more money back into the economy. So they've budgeted to say, when we generate new money 20 years from now, when this bond that Mr. Paget bought for $100 and we're going to pay him $120, when that bond comes due in 20 years, let's keep track of how much we took out with a little scoop and put it in this jar over here. Let's keep track of that because we're going to spend 20 extra dollars because we told him we were going to give him $20. That's what we call interest payments. It's just another way to put money in, but it gets directed specifically to me as opposed to to people who are making roads or to people who are providing health care or to school subsidies or anything. I just become a recipient of what the government's going to direct to me because of the money that I lent the government by taking my money out of circulation and then they're allowed to put new money in down the road. That's how they're managing inflation. That's why bond rates change over time. All this stuff, they're just, they're just managing that kind of thing. So that's what someone means when they say we're making interest payments. What most of us think we mean we're making interest payments is if you don't pay your credit card on time, then you're going to pay more money. You are going to pay more money than you would have had to pay had you paid it back on time. That's not what this is. It's technically interest from my side. I call it interest. The government just calls it future spending. It's not interest. They're just going to budget it in and pay it later as new money that's later created. So these terms become really crucial to understanding this. This is why so many of us are saying, don't worry about the deficit. We have to have deficits. If we fight for balanced budgets to reduce the deficit every single year, and we pay down the debt. Think about it for a minute. You got that sink. It has money in it. 
The money in it is the difference between how much has ever been created by the Federal Reserve, how much has been taken out by taxes and fees. That's the amount of money that's in there. If we get rid of all of that by paying down all the deficit, what happens? The sink is empty. There's no money. If we pay the government back all the money that it put in, there will be no money. I, I, I know if you're like, the guy dressed in blue with the hat, he's lost his mind. Look, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm just reporting this. Now, sometimes all of this stuff is called MMT, modern monetary theory. Everything I've just described to you is not modern monetary theory. Everything I've described to you is the way it actually works. And no matter what kind of an economist you are, modern monetary theory or Keynesian or classic or any of them, you all know that's how the federal government works. Modern monetary theory then says, because of that reality, we should then behave in these future ways. The thing that is disagreed on amongst economists is not how does the economy function as, the, as a Federal Reserve that produces money. The disagreement is how do we decide how much money is going to come out through taxes and who's going to pay those dollars that are going to go down the drain and disappear. That's where the argument comes from. It, what, when the question that gets raised a lot from the federal government is, well, somebody should explain uh, if you're going to talk about these policies of health care for everyone or if you're going to talk about building a bridge or if you're going to talk about giving tax cuts, who's going to pay for it? The answer at the federal level is always the same. Say it with me, friends. Who's going to pay for it? The Federal Reserve will pay for it because the Federal Reserve pays for everything. The United States Treasury through the Federal Reserve. That's who. Who doesn't pay for it? Taxpayers at the federal level. The government, federal government, produces all the money. What the federal government then wants to do is, one, make sure there's not inflation, and we can have lots of debates, and those are debates that happen all the time, and we've had inflation in the last number of years, and the question is, is it supply side? There's not enough flow or is it there's too much money roaming around and people now are like, honey, let's go out for dinner. And all of a sudden people are like, hey, we can charge more for all the things because people have a bunch of money. Why do they have a bunch of money? Because like a lot of us, you got a bunch of money dumped into your account from the United States Treasury, right? Money just came in and all of a sudden you're like, hey, we've got some money. So this is the, the fundamental question that we have to answer is, Who's going to pay for it and can we prevent, uh, who's going to pay the taxes and can we prevent inflation? All right, let's talk about banks for a moment, okay? Um, because this can, this, this uh, for a lot of people can become, um, can become su super helpful. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong slide. That's when we're going to talk about taxes. The reason there are banks, the reason that banks are chartered by the federal government is that the Federal Reserve says, well, we need a mechanism by which we get money to people. And the federal government doesn't want to be the mechanism. 
In fact, the federal government doesn't want to be the mechanism for anything. Like even government spending is not being spent by government officials. It's being spent by departments. I mean, money that's spent by the federal government is not to produce things produced by the federal government. It's using private industries to create these things or paying employees for the federal government to do it. Banks are chartered by the Federal Reserve to be the tool by which money is then moved into the economy. So if you go to your bank and ask for a loan, every single day, the bank has to balance its ledger. The bank can't end up with less money at the end of the day than it had at the start of the day. Because if that starts happening, the bank's going to run out of money. So what do banks do? If a bank gives you a $100,000 loan, if a bank gives you a $100 loan, they now take $100,000 and $100 out of their bank. Now they're short $100,000 and $100. Where are they going to get that money again? They can't just go back to the Federal Reserve and be like, hey, can you just give us more? Because the Federal Reserve is like, no, Congress said, here's how much money we have, so we're going to give it to you. So where do they get their money? Well, one place they could get their money is they've been charging interest to a whole bunch of other people on the money they lent them, 3%, 5%, Wells Fargo running up a bunch of fake fees, uh, U.S. Bank kind of cheating people out of uh, you know bad bank accounts that they never even opened and then charging them fees. So fees are one way that they can put money into their ledger. But the most consistent way they do it is they borrow money from each other. So some bank has... $100,100 more than they need, and they lend it to the other bank. And then that bank at the next day may have 50000 extra dollars, so they're going to lend it to someone else. So there's an entire bank lending system amongst the banks. This is what the Federal Reserve is talking about when they talk about the prime interest rates. How much money does it cost for banks to lend money to other banks? And then banks then say, hey, if I'm going to lend you $500, I'm going to have to go borrow $500 from another bank, right? And they're going to charge me 2% interest to borrow that $500 from them. So I'm going to charge you 4% interest. Or if that other bank says, oh, I'm going to charge you 4% interest, and they're going to be like, well, now I'm going to charge you as the borrower 6% interest. And this is how interest rates can climb for consumers because banks don't produce their own money. Banks use the money given by the federal government, and then they create an economy of exchange of that money. So that's where banks fit in. That's how money is moved around the economy. We don't have time to talk about cryptocurrency, and I don't want to, but sometimes cryptocurrency is seen as a, another means of moving money around outside of the Federal Reserve banking system. Is there another means by which I could have some money and then lend it to you and it doesn't have anything to do with the banks that are uh, borrowing and lending the money to each other and then therefore to customers? And this is how, why banks have audits all the time. And if a bank is overly leveraged, I mean, there are times you might go to your bank and they're like, hey, we're not offering any new loans right now. Like you may have to call a bank and be like, hey, I'm looking for a car loan. Do you have any car? No, we're not doing car loans right now. And you might hang up the phone and think, why are they not doing car loans? Because they've realized 
we, we're only going to borrow so much money to lend it on car loans, and we've reached our cap, and that's it, and we, we only have so much money in assets, and we can't do this. This is why, okay? So <clears throat> there's a very sophisticated system for moving all this money around. I don't want you to think that, like, the economy is just a simple little sink, and it's really straightforward and super simple. It's very complicated. But the fundamental question of where do the banks get their money, where do you get your money, it's from the federal government. Where does the federal government get its money? Not from you. The motto of the day, the federal government doesn't need your money. In fact, your money can just, when you give your money to them, not only do they not want it, they don't need it, and they just eliminate it from the economy. They just get rid of it. And I'm not talking about burning a dollar bill. They do that with old bills and stuff. I'm saying when you send them money from your bank, you write a check or you do an auto payment to them, the IRS doesn't like look at their you know, they're not opening up their phone like I do on my bank app and being like, oh, I have money in there. I'm so glad. This feels so good. The IRS is like, oh, you sent me $100? Okay, there's 100 less dollars in the U.S. economy. That's what happens to that. That's what happens to that money. So, <clears throat> all right. So what are the other reasons that governments would instill taxes? Control inflation. And the primary one? to control people's behavior. Look, we don't have a tax policy simply to give the treasury money. It doesn't use the tax dollars. We use it to control inflation and to incentivize and de-incentivize certain behaviors. So what Congress is deciding every time it's trying to make a decision about how much money it's gonna spend is, what are the priorities that we want to put money into and what are the things that we want to take money out of? So if, as <clears throat> I think Dave was saying here earlier, we should tax the wealthy people, uh, we need to, okay, so this comment, we need to raise taxes, we need to raise, <laughs> we need to raise taxes on the wealthy and on excessive corporate pro uh, profits. Okay. So if you take that perspective, which John has, then here's what you'd be saying. We don't want wealthy people and wealthy corporations to just have a bunch of money that they're not spending and they're sitting on. Because if we've got to take some money out of the sink, if we've got to get water out of the sink, we don't want to take it away from somebody who really needs it. We want to take it away from somebody who doesn't really need it. So if you're going to spend your money on a boat... Well, if you're spending your money on a boat, then we're going to tax you and that boat at 14% or 18% or 30%. If you're going to spend your money on building a new building in downtown Dayton, well, then we're only going to tax you at 2% because we want you to build a building. We want you to have the money to build a building, but you're not building a building. You're buying a boat. Oh, you're going to buy cigarettes or you're going to buy oil? Well, then we're going to tax that higher. So here's where public policy comes into play. Whose money is going to go down the drain? Wealthy people 
That's why you hear politicians say, no new taxes on the middle class. You all get to keep your money. We're only going to tax the wealthiest 1% or 2% or 5%. Or we're only going to tax money that's being passed from generationally from one family to another. Or we're only going to tax money on luxury items. Or we're only going to tax people on income that they bring in that's over $3 million a year. The first $3 million, we're not going to tax very much. But that last $3 million or anything over that, that $3 million threshold, we're going to tax that at 42% because we don't think you need that much money. This is why conservatives don't like taxes, not because they don't want money leaving the economy. They don't like the idea that some politician is going to tell people who are winners and losers, right? This, this is the argument that they use. The thing is, that's, we're always making that decision about taxes, when we decide not to tax businesses or wealth creators, then we're saying you get to keep your money and we're going to take the money out of the economy via some other means to take it out or not take it out at all. One of the conclusions I've come to, which is a little different than some MMT people, is I'm like, I think we should get out of the business of taking money out of out, uh, using taxes to take money out of the economy to incentivize and de-incentivize other behaviors. I don't think it works well. I think we should take money out to control for inflation, and that's it. Now, there's other people who think really, and look, I'm not trying to go easy on the wealthy or anything else, but just this general idea that the federal government would do that. I think states should do it because the state needs it. So if you've got a billionaire living in a state and the state's like, we need some of that money because they literally can't make their own money, and they're like, you have it all. Do you remember back in the day, you might have heard something back in the turn of the 20th century when Carnegie had to lend money to the federal government because it didn't have enough? The Rockefellers lent money, floated the government because there was a period of time where they had gotten, they'd paid down all the national debt. They sold, sold off a bunch of land in the West and paid off the national debt, which meant there wasn't enough money in the economy and that had to be borrowed from billionaires of the day. We're not getting into that again, right? That's ridiculous. Well, I, so I'm not trying to say that wealthy people shouldn't pay their fair share. For sure they should. But this idea that we're going to use some scalpel of tax policy, it just fundamentally doesn't work. Partly because we keep creating loopholes and all this other nonsense. There just needs to be a more straightforward way to deal with this. And the problem is most of us don't even understand how the federal tax system works in the first place, let alone what we should be doing about it. All right. Here's a uh, here, here's here's a quote from Stephanie Kelton. She says, "Taxes are critically important." So she would, uh, if she were uh, ever on this podcast, dream of mine, she would say to me, "Taxes are crucially important, Doug. You're totally wrong about this." But there's no reason she goes on to say that. Or I'm sorry. There's no reason to assume that the government must raise taxes whenever it wants to invest in our economy, because taxes is not what we use to invest. Taxes are what we use to control inflation and to generate some behavior and to limit others. She goes on to say, your taxes don't pay for anything, at least not at the federal level. The government doesn't need our money. It's for other purposes. So we have a very good friend uh, named uh, Fadl Kaboob. He's an economist um, and he's great. He's been on our podcast a bunch of times and I was texting with him this morning and said, hey Fadl, tell me again, because I I'm trying to understand why Republicans especially, or conservatives generally, want there to be less government spending. If government spending is how we grow the economy, it's the water that's in the sink, and the more water we have, the magical sink gets bigger, 
Why don't Republicans want there to be federal spending? Because that's the only way new money comes in. Really baffled by this. Said, assuming that they know how this works and they don't believe that it's running up debt. Now, I've talked to a lot of Republicans, even, polit- even, even lawmakers, who actually don't know what we're talking about right now. They think it's like borrowing money on a credit card. It's unbelievable. But those who know still make the argument. And I said, is it because, and this is something I think, he, he said, no, it's not because of this, but I think it might be. I mean, the great thing about economists is they disagree with each other, so you can just chime right in and disagree with them as well. I think it's because if you stop putting new money in, it slows down the merry-go-round, and then new people don't have access to new money, and the current power structures get to stay closer to the way they are now. You keep pumping a bunch of money into the economy and all of a sudden new people have access to new money. And if you're a conservative and you like the people that currently have the money and you don't want new people having the money because you like it the way that it is, it's got the culture you want, it has the kind of people, let's just leave it here. Stop with federal investment. Let's just pause that for 10 years, not put any new money in and just circulate the money we have now, maintains the power in the hands of the people who currently have the money. There's going to be no new wealth classes created because new wealth classes are created by new money. I think that's a big motivation for it. Professor Kaboob, though, says, no, I don't think it's just that. I think it's even more diabolical. They want to control who has access to the money. So he sent me this, this clip, and you're going to see a clip from a uh, short, it's like a minute long, is a person at a conference from the, from the Gunner uh, uh, organization, it's a financial organization in Australia. And Professor Kaboob shared this with me because he said, usually economists find fancy ways to say this, this guy just comes out and says it, which is, we have to stop this federal spending because if we keep putting money into the hands of people who don't know what to do with it, it's going to mess up our economy. If you pay off a bunch of people's student loans, in other words, you know what that's going to do? It's going to de-incentivize people to go get a job. If you give people money, they're not going to want to work. If people don't want to work, then who's going to control these people and who's going to fund these businesses? And so economists are like, we like it when there's employers and employees. We like the way that all lays out. This person you're going to hear in this economics forum where he says this, basically says, we have to get away from this thing where employees act as if the employer should be glad to have their employment. People should be glad they have their job. We need to stop giving people money so they need to work more so they'll be grateful for the jobs they have because that's a better economy. This is what's behind conservative tax policy. I think it's to keep the money balanced the way it is and to keep people feeling like they need the job. Why do they want people to feel like they need the job? Because that's the right kind of order in our society, bosses and employees. You start giving people a whole bunch of money and they don't need to work anymore, and then what kind of chaos are we gonna have in this country? Oh, it's funny because no no trust fund parent that I've ever met is like, oh, I should make sure that I don't give any money to my kids. They're like, hey, how about if my kids take that money and invest it? Rich people work all the time. The idea that you think you're not going to, people, other people are not going to work because they have enough money to survive without their job 
is going to then somehow hurt work. Have you ever met retired people who retire in their 30s and 40s? They're bored out of their mind and start working for free because they just want to work. This idea that we need to keep people under the thumb, that's what's going into all of this. And so MMT, Modern Monetary Theory, says all the stuff we talked about at the beginning, how the government works, how, how the fiscal policy works, where money comes from, how it goes. And then they say, and we need to spend money and not be taxing the way that we are, only tax the most wealthy and tax in targeted ways to incentivize some things and to free people up to move more freely in the economy. All my libertarian friends who want liberty and freedom, you should be MMT people. All right, so anyway, here's, here's this clip, and uh, I'll probably make you yell out loud. I think the problem that we've had is that we've, you know, we, we have, people decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID, and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they, they have been paid, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years. And we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40, 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, there is a, there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global, you know, the, the world is trying to do. The governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off and we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market. And that has to continue because that will cascade across the cost balance. We need less arrogance in the employment culture of employees. Lay a bunch of people off, put a bunch of pain on them, make them feel glad for their jobs. That's how we have an economy that we could all be proud of. I mean, these folks, honestly, this stuff is incredible. Just saying it flat out, like it makes all the sense in the world. People have to stop being satisfied in their work or they're gonna quit. I mean, it's really, it's really something. All right, um, <clears throat> a couple of comments and questions that I'll take here from the, from the chat. I wish we were all in person, we could talk about this. This may sound like a stupid question, but it's not. I even read it. But when will we address the hoarding of money that never trickles down to a living wage and doesn't enter the economy? Well, this is one of the big arguments of people who argue for MMT. They say we have to tax people that are hoarding the money because we need it flowing in the economy. That sink, if it gets stagnant because rich people just stop spending their money and just keep it in the stock market and it's not being invested we have to get it moving. Now, progressives tend to say, take it from them and put new money in, in places we want it, where we know it's going to work. That's one option, right? Take the old money away, get rid of it, put the new money in, in targeted areas because the people who have it aren't spending it. So penalize them by taking it away and put new money in. The other way you do it, conservatives tend to like this idea, is to incentivize those people with all that money by saying, hey, if you spend that money you've, you're hoarding over there on these priorities, we will somehow reward you all the more. The problem with that theory is, and this is what Carol's getting at in her question about, can we finally get to the question about trickle-down economics is, they already have money. What are you going to motivate them with? <laughs> right? More money? They already have more money than they already want to spend, so you... 
So the government ends up with not a lot of things they can do to motivate someone's behavior. They already have it. So some people believe you're not going to motivate people by giving them more of what they already have to behave differently. You have to take it away from them. So that's basically what the guy's saying about jobs, right? That kind of things. Uh, Mike says uh, corporations would also prefer to increase increase wages rather than paying their fair share of higher taxes. Okay, that's also interesting. Um, uh, uh, Leslie, thank you for your comment. He is repeating himself. It's time for him to end this. Another thing is you could end it. Now, I hope you won't, but if you think you've already got the point and there's no more good points coming... Uh, feel free to click off at any point, Leslie, but don't, please don't, uh, stick around. Like, like having you around here. Uh, this one's interesting. Ever read Proverbs? What nation would Jesus in debt? Not one. The good Samaritan didn't use a government credit card. Okay. Kelly, I feel like maybe I missed the point for you. Government spending is not a credit card. Debt for the federal government is the difference in the amount of money ever created and the amount of money that goes away. It's not a credit card. If anybody uses federal government spending credit card language, there's a better way to think about it. No, I, that's, I shouldn't say that. There's only one way to think about it. It's not a credit card. That's not what we mean by federal debt or federal deficit. Deficit being the any single budget year, debt being the accumulation of all those years over time. It's the difference in the amount of money in versus the amount of money that's been removed. All right. Uh, see if there's any other... <clears throat> Sorry, I got a little cough coming here. <clears throat> My cold has caught up with me at hour one. So we've been at this now for like 58, 57 minutes, 58 minutes. Uh, so... Leslie, you might be right, my friend. You might actually be right. Maybe it is uh, time to end this. But not because I'm repeating myself, but because my throat's getting tired after the call. All right, uh, a lot on that. Look, you can go on to TED Talks. Stephanie Kelton has a great one. You can look up Modern Monetary Theory or MMT. You can just look up Federal Reserve. Where does the money come from? Uh, and uh, if you've been helped at all, just by even the notion that we don't, the government doesn't spend money we give them, we spend money that the government produces, start sharing that with family and friends. But I'm going to warn you, warn you, once you do that, people are going to look at you like you're out of your mind. It takes so long for some of us to wrap our heads around it. Because again, the big caveat has to be, that's the federal government, states and local governments only use the money the federal government provides, just like the rest of us. We all, everybody else, only spends the money the federal government provides. Federal government only spends the money the federal government provides. We're just exchanging it with each other in the system. And when we give it back to the federal government, it just goes away. And then they put new money in. So, hey, one more, uh, well, one more point here before I go, though. When people say things like the amount of debt that we racked up, you know, in, uh, in fiscal year, uh, 1776 or whatever was, you know, uh, $43 million. And now look at our deficit as trillions of dollars. One of the things that's really a problem with that kind of thinking 
is it doesn't take into account inflation. So $43 million that the United States government borrowed to fund its revolution because it didn't have its own currency, so it had to go get money from France, is now the $43 million in today's dollars would be $900 million. $900 million of owed money based on the size of the economy at the time was massive amounts of debt, actual debt that had to be paid back. By the time we got in our own currency, roughly 1790, by the time we get our own currency, they're still racking up. <clears throat> You'll see numbers where they're like, but you know, even all of World War II, we only spent X amount of dollars. Well, you just, it's not hard to do. The internet does it for you. But be sure you're putting that into modern day dollars before you say, and Biden wants to spend $1.9 trillion. Well, yeah, if you spend $700 billion, then that's going to be in today's dollars, something close to $1.9 trillion. So there's just, a, there's a conversion that you have to, it's kind of like when they do things about how much money was earned at the box office for movies and they compare Jaws in 1975 to movies in 2023, you're like, well, how much was the dollar? Because they literally don't do that conversion in those. They just say it earned $27 million and this one earned a billion dollars. So anyway, we have to do those numbers as well. There's just a lot of funny business that goes around when we start dealing with, uh, with dollars. All right. Um, my cold is kicking in and my throat's giving way. So, uh, thanks for all this, uh, share it with others. Uh, thanks for being a part of this. And if you're new to the, uh, uh, if you're just watching this now on YouTube, which is our preferred place, if you watch it anywhere else, fine, but go over to YouTube, share, like, uh, subscribe to our stuff over there. That helps us a lot and, uh, continue to put comments in and I'll come back over time and, and look at them and, and address them as I can. But thanks for being a part of all this and, uh, for being a part of Vote Common Good. You can find all of our stuff at votecommongood.com. All right, bye.